0: Well, good morning. Welcome again to St. Paul's Blur Street. We're so glad you joined us in person as well, those of us joining online. Maybe you're curious about faith, you're critical or you're committed, you've got a home here. Once uh, when Bill Gates was asked about the possibility of there being work-life balance, he said that he likes to ask lazy people to do hard jobs. Because lazy people will always find the easiest way to do things. Jesus of Nazareth had zero work-life balance, like none. Not because he didn't understand boundaries or the need to take a weekly day of rest, but because who he is, is his work. His very identity is his vision and mission statement, his job description, his LinkedIn profile. We're on week two of our teaching series, The Mission of Jesus, looking at how Jesus of Nazareth, the most impactful leader in all of history, went from being a complete nobody to being recognized as God on earth, and what the launching of his work and mission can mean for our work and mission, whether we work in or outside of the home. And last week, we heard how life is hard for everyone, And how the resources that equipped and encouraged jesus are available to us and in today's encounter recorded by the physician luke we see jesus heading to his hometown and in a roller coaster of a few hours he basically kicks away the ladder beneath him as he lays out how who he is is his mission And because here at St. Paul's we want to be about whatever Jesus is about, let's look at this emotional and actually violent encounter to peel back how first, we can misunderstand what Jesus came to do, misunderstand. And then second, how we can be effectively motivated in our work and mission, loving God, loving our neighbors. Misunderstand, and then be motivated. And that's important, whether you're spiritually searching today or already learning how to follow Jesus. So first, misunderstand. His hometown showdown. Jesus is about 30 years old. He's fresh from his 40 days of preparation for his new work, a wrestling with the temptations of the devil, and he heads home. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit returned to Galilee and a report spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Galilee is in the northern region of Israel where Nazareth is located, where he grew up, and even accounting for Hebrew hyperbole, his new job is clearly going extremely well. He went to the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. It's a famous passage describing the long-awaited coming of the Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The atmosphere, it must have been electric Because we're told that the eyes of everyone are locked on Jesus. And seizing the moment, he tells them that they have just witnessed the fulfillment of this promise. It's me, says Jesus. His ratings continue to climb, with people kind of amazed at how well Joseph's kid seems to have turned out. And deliberately identifying with the prophetic tradition of ancient Israel, right, where prophets, I would bring messages from God, and then they'd be promptly rejected and often killed. Jesus tells the hometown crowd that he knows that they want him to perform some miracles now, but he's not gonna do it. Because prophets are never really welcome in their hometown. As Kent said in our staff Bible study this week, can you imagine? It would be as though Toronto finally had a legitimate hometown hockey hero and he's just announced he'll never wear a Maple Leafs jersey, but would rather skate for the Canadians. All of a sudden, hope turns to rage. Jesus then pushes even further by reminding his listeners of two incidents in Israel's history where God does a mighty act of rescue, of releasing a widow from impending death due to famine and rescuing a military commander from the oppression of leprosy. But this woman and this man that God rescues, here's the kicker. They're not Israelites. They're Gentiles, outsiders to the ethnically Jewish nation of Israel. Okay, Jesus, too much. Now everyone, they're upset. Verse 28. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. Nothing like a good murder after church. (laughs) Within the space of a couple of hours, Jesus has gone from being adored to being despised. What's going on here? We have to understand what Jesus is claiming is about him. It's a passage from the prophet Isaiah, which is about Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor, one of the loving laws God gave the Israelites after he rescued them from slavery in Egypt, laws to help build a flourishing new nation. And Jubilee was meant to be an economic and social reset every 50 years. No matter what had happened to your family for the past 49, Maybe your crops had failed and you had to sell your land or sell yourself into slavery. In the Jubilee year, everything started fresh. Financial debts were canceled, slaves were released. Because all the land, it was God's in the first place. So no one had a right to any of it. It was all a gift from God. Just like that math brain you have that's allowed you to flourish in finance or that eye for color that's made you a talented artist, it's all gift from God. The Israelites had leasehold, not freehold, on the land. And the Jubilee was an every 50-year reminder that everything has been graciously given to us by God. If you've got children, they're gods, whom God has loaned to us for us to raise, to know and love God. And since the mortality rate in downtown Toronto is still 100% last time I checked, none of us are taking any of our wealth with us when we die. Jubilee was intended as a tangible reminder that all is gracious gift. But there isn't a lot of evidence that the Israelites ever successfully implemented Jubilee. Not because it was economically impractical, but because humans are humans, right? Like there were lots of bad Israelite kings, there was plenty of warfare. A jubilee doesn't seem to have happened because of human self-centeredness and sin. Taylor Swift gets it. In her recent hit, Antihero, she sings, It's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. My girls told me to absolutely not sing that line this morning. And while it seems the ancient Israelites never pulled off the Jubilee year, the fact that everything is a gracious gift from God and God desires us to live lives of generosity and justice, that hasn't changed. A thousand years later, Joseph's kid, made good, stands up in his hometown synagogue. What does he say? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to the poor to release the captives, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the Jubilee year. Israel couldn't pull off Jubilee, says Jesus. So I'm here to be it. I am Jubilee. Remember who he is, is his job. As we're going to see, Jesus brings both spiritual and economic Jubilee. I'm the way that debts get canceled. I'm the way that prisoners get freed. I am jubilee. Now this is where the misunderstanding uh, can come in. It sounds great when Jesus announces to the Israelites, living under Roman uh, political and economic oppression, that they've just locked eyes on God's jubilee. sounds great. But what they fail to understand is that they're not entitled to this jubilee by virtue of who they are. They can't earn this through their ethnic identity, an idea that Jesus swiftly disabuses them of by reminding them how God rescued the widow of Zarephath and Naaman the Syrian, non-Israelites. Not only do they think a little too highly of themselves, let me get this straight, says Jesus, you weren't able to pull off Jubilee for all these centuries And yet you think your national identity entitles you to it? Have I got that right? Their hopes also had tight little boundaries around them. Jesus is saying he is jubilee for everyone regardless of their skin color or social status. Bottom of the hierarchy like an old widow or the top of the hierarchy a military commander. Do not misunderstand says Jesus I've come to cancel the debts of everyone, to set all the prisoners free. And the freedom from bondage that I'm bringing, you aren't entitled to it. You can't earn it, which is fantastic news. It's going to be pure gift, pure grace. Why does Jesus go from being adored to almost murdered? Because he preaches grace. What we possibly cannot earn and it offends us grace always assaults our pride it assaulted the ethnic pride of jesus's hometown crowd which is a good moment to give my annual reminder about the difference between justice mercy and grace justice getting what we deserve please no mercy is not getting what we deserve whew bit of a relief grace Something different. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. God's love, God's mercy, God's forgiveness. It's amazing. And when we first encounter grace, our world turns upside down. Because grace is like a flood bursting through the dam of our pride. Cold water rushing into all the corners of my heart, exposing my sin, rearranging my mental universe. Grace tells me that I desperately need God's love and forgiveness, and that there's no way I could ever possibly clean up my heart, my life, my mind, enough to deserve it. Don't misunderstand, says Jesus, I am Jubilee. My life, my death, my resurrection graciously cancels all spiritual debts. Don't misunderstand, says Jesus, grace, being given what you don't deserve, is at the heart of Jubilee. And it's also grace, which is the best motivator to build that world of generosity and justice that Jubilee promises. How? Well, we're all motivated in life for different reasons. So let's quickly dispense uh, with the motivators that don't really work, at least not in the long run. Right, so in our relativistic age, um, our society is no longer motivated by the belief that there are absolute moral standards, right? That doesn't work anymore. Uh, We are now uh, more motivated uh, by sentiment, by by feelings, right? Stories intended to pull on our heartstrings and convince the rich, uh, the safe, the powerful, people like me, uh, to tolerate, maybe even cherish, the powerless and the social outcast. But I'm not convinced. Do you really think sentiment and feelings are going to bring peace between North and South Korea? Do you think feelings are gonna solve the housing crisis in our city? My social media feed is flooded with sad and sentimental stories every day, and they have next to no effect on my daily actions. Guilt, that's also often used as a motivator, right? Has been used a lot in churches. But while guilt can be the gift that keeps on giving, it may get you started on a path guilt cannot sustain a lifetime of generosity it cannot sustain sacrificial living for the sake of other people it is the grace that jesus brings the grace of jubilee that can joyfully motivate the christian life remember how grace assaults our pride it is the awareness of our spiritual poverty how self-focused we truly are that will shape our wills to care for those who are materially poor. It's our awareness of our spiritual bondage, how we're utterly captive to rapacious materialism and consumerism, I include myself. It's my awareness of my, my bondage to that that can shape our wills to care for the prisoners, the incarcerated, for slaves. Because when you come across someone who's economically destitute, a poor, grace will not allow you to say, it will not allow you to say, come on, make an effort, work harder, pull yourself together. Because you didn't do that spiritually. Jesus came as Jubilee to cancel your debts. And grace will not allow us to say to the incarcerated, listen, you made your bed, I think you need to lie in it. Because God came to earth, moved into our spiritually poor neighborhood, so to speak, and freed us from our self-chosen spiritual bondage. In other words, anyone learning how to follow Jesus, if we encounter the incarcerated or someone who is destitute, we realize we're looking in a mirror. Being a recipient of God's grace, receiving God's love, mercy, and hope, what we couldn't earn It is the most effective motivator to live lives of generosity and serving other people. Jesus' work and mission was his life and death. Jesus' jubilee, canceling our spiritual debts, which in turn can shape our work, our mission. And receiving this grace, it's the best motivator for us to tackle the very real social problems and poverty that exist in our city right we're a downtown church and around the world we have people from all over the world that come to saint paul's and receiving god's grace that's what can motivate us to be a humble and wise parent a faithful friend a faithful spouse a generous committed work colleague jesus is our jubilee reach out for his grace today if you're spiritually curious this morning if you're online ask for god's grace today in prayer just say please and then take it in your hands with bread and wine if you're already learning how to follow him grace is on the move here this morning ready to assault our selfishness and pride equipping us to live lives of service and generosity the people we so deeply want to be